welcome to Novel Finds Podcast, the podcast where we talk about our favorite books, your favorite books, and everything in between. Hi, I'm Julia. Maggie's not here today. Uh, so everyone's probably very confused as to why the voice was different in the beginning. But it's a very exciting episode. Today, we are going to talk to, and by we, I mean me, are going to talk to Jonathan Edward Durham, who is the author of Winterset Hollow. How are you doing today, Jonathan? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited. I have a warm-up question, which is, how do you arrange your books in your personal collection? Well, it's definitely not color coordinated because I am quite, quite badly colorblind, actually. Oh! So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's not really a consideration with the books. Honestly, it's like just purely aesthetics, like how they look best on the shelf. Mm -hmm. I'm like a very visual person, so what I like is sort of... When I glance up at a bookshelf or a bookcase, I just like it to look right and to like feel right yeah. and to sort of be symmetrical and like how they sit, you know, on the shelves and that sort of thing um, is just sort of what I like. But my book collection isn't actually as as big as you probably think it might be. I have a habit of um, giving books away oh, when I finish wow. them. Yeah, I don't uh, reread uh, a ton, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so if I find somebody that I think sort of might like this book or that book, I tend to just uh, sort of lend them out and always forget to ask for them back. So That's so cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, you know, it's just a habit. I, I, when I was younger, I sort of moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. And books are obviously not an easy thing to sort of take with you when you move. Really so I not. just sort of got into the habit of like, yeah, if you want to read it here, you know. And then I'm terrible at asking for stuff. That's back. so cool. I'm actually like my Christmas presents this year. I'm planning to give people books. Not my books. I'm going to get them books. No, of course not. <laughs> never, never your books. Yeah. Not my books. Oh, that's awesome. Actually. Yeah, because I was just like, I love books. And I was thinking of doing it just the books that I've read this year. If I've read one that's of them good. and been like, hey, this person I think will like that and just kind of doing do, it that way. Do you like to give people books that you think that you know they'll like or like stuff that's a little outside their comfort zone that you like try to push them a little bit? You know um, what I mean? Like, So I think this year, at least, I'm going to give them books I think they'll like, like it, like the vibe that that person has. I think that they'll yeah, yeah, yeah. like it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So you want to get into Winterset Hollow? Yeah, if you're ready, I'm ready. I'm so ready. So big question. Yeah. What was your inspiration? Man, that's always the first question. I you know. know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a tough thing for me to answer because like, I, I rarely have these moments of like, you know, blinding inspiration or anything like that. My approach to developing stories is uh, very considered. Um, and for me, they always start with like a weird what if question, mm-hmm. like that sort of the, I always have those sort of bouncing around in my head. And when I find one that I, I think could be interesting enough for a book, then I sort of sit down and start to branch it out in, into a story. So for this one, it was and one day I was just sitting around and the question of like, you know, what if your favorite childhood story was real sort of popped in yeah, my head. Yeah. And I, I thought, you know, I, maybe there's something there, you know. And so I started to sit down and sort of think like. The next thing I do is sort of try to answer that question in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what if it were real? And what are what are what were my favorite childhood stories? You know, and like, would they make for a good a good you know sort of book? And when I was real young, it was sort of like uh, you know Winnie the Pooh and like C.S. Lewis and Roald Dahl and um, lots of Disney stuff. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. movie wise. So that sort of lended itself to. Like, oh, it'd be interesting if there were animals in it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. um, I definitely got that vibe. I was like, this has to be sort of Alice in Wonderland-y. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it was very cool. And the talking animals. I was like, oh, nice. And the 
they're larger than like regular animals. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, they're like um, people-sized animals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, depending on which animal, some are a little bigger than people, yes. you know? Um, some are a little smaller. But yeah, a totally Alice in Wonderland, like Watership Down, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That sort of vibe. Um, I love, like when that's done well, It's I just really like it. So, And I thought that would be an interesting twist you know what i mean yes when, sort of when the first one shows up it's i like those moments where it's like oh what's happening now it was you know it what was I mean? very cool like, oh, i was like yeah <laughs> even the main character uh his reaction to meeting the very first animal and just fainting is exactly what <laughs> i would have done I, was like, I think that's what i would have done <laughs> for sure been like oh man because uh, it's such a trip to one meet one of your favorite characters in your favorite book and two suddenly be talking to a talking animal. It's like all of the things at once. Yeah, it's so you know overwhelming. What I mean? It's just overload, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you have a favorite line or section in your book? Oh, man, that was a tough one. Um, you know, there's a couple things in the book that I, I really, really enjoy doing. And one of them is like... Uh, uh, like inventing language or like idioms or that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I, I really like get a kick out of that for whatever reason, um, because I think, you know, like the colloquialisms that characters use, I think speaks a lot to them and like their experience and mm-hmm. where they come from and, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's like a really interesting glimpse into like their experience. Um, so I like doing that. And so there's a couple things in the book. Um, there's a phrase that comes, uh, uh, I think I use it probably two or three times. Like, uh, we were, we we're going to get along like fountains and filigree. Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I just like sort of crafting phrases like that. And, uh, there's a phrase, the fields beyond, you know, mm-hmm. that the animals mm-hmm. use for, you know, the afterlife. It's really good um, story, like setting building too. It is. It's like a, a type of world building yeah. without being so like upfront about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that sort of stuff. It like adds um, like texture to the fabric. It does. You know? It it's absolutely just... does. Because then it's like, oh, they're actually from a different world and then displaced in into this one. Right. And, and it sort of get. Yep. And it gets you thinking about like, oh, well, you know, how, how they speak versus obviously how they how they learn to speak English and why they maybe sound a little British because mm-hmm. Edward was British. And, you know, it just gets you thinking about sort of where they've been and what they've done and, you know, what they've been through in a, in a maybe not so like on the nose way. Yeah, you know? it was poetry. You had like the poetry. Did you mm-hmm. write that first and then come up with the story or was it kind of a combination? No, I, I didn't actually. I actually wrote it as I went. Um, well, that's, I mean, the first, uh, you know, the, there's a section of poetry that precedes each, each of the five parts of the book. So the first part of poetry I did actually write first, but I, I didn't write the whole thing. I did it as I went along. So before I started the second part, I wrote the second bit of verse. Before I started the third part, I wrote the third bit of verse. And then sometimes they're like thrown in here or there mm-hmm. within the story yeah. too. The characters will, you know, recite parts, and I would I would do that then. And I figured that was better that way because if there were things that I wanted to like hang a lantern on, or or like tease in the book within the book, or just little bits of of this or that, um, I thought it was better to sort of see what was needed as I was going, and and if I could throw it in there, throw it in there a little bit just to like. You know, sometimes like the characters are a little fleshed out throughout the poetry and sometimes like um, the the plot is sort of hinted or foreshadowed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, yeah, I just I just did it as I went along, like literally as I was starting the next part, I would sit down and do the poem. And then when I was done with that, I would, 
you know, move on with the actual. I love that. Do you write poetry just on your own as well as uh, I, prose? I don't. I don't actually. I I did when I was younger. Like uh, you know, when I was in high school and college and stuff, I I studied that a lot. Um, so I did. A, I did a fair bit of you know writing poetry along with other stuff. I I don't do it now. Um, so this was the literally the first time I did it in I don't even know how long. I don't necessarily want to say how long it's been right. uh, since That's those totally days. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I was actually probably the most fun I had writing this book was like doing that because, you know, not only is it a different set of considerations when you're doing mm-hmm. something like that, but like as much as I would hope that this book sort of takes people back to their childhood, you know, stories and that sort of thing, like doing that, it took me back. Yeah. Um, and it had you know, um, quite a cadence to it. It was kind of like a heartbeat. And so it was very nostalgic, at least for me, just reading the poetry and being like, oh, da 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 da. And then sometimes it would falter. I'm like, oh no, what happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and stuff it's, like uh, that. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's an interesting break from the, from the book too, mm-hmm. you know, um, just to, from, from sort of the action and the, the pace of it and that sort of thing. Just like, oh, here's, you know, eight stanzas of poetry. Yeah. You know, let's, let's take a little breather. Like, let's, it was a nice little break. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously, I'm sure you love all of your characters, but do you have a favorite one? Um, and um, is that character the same as like the one you connect with the most or do you connect with? That's a good question. Um, I mean, yes and no. And also that answer has probably changed like over the last couple months. It certainly changed um, throughout the course of me writing. the. Book. Oh, I can like, imagine. The animal characters initially were each supposed to represent like a sort of aspect of like maybe mental health mm. that like I've yeah. struggled yep. with I at some point, uh-huh. you know what I mean? And like very quickly into writing the book, I realized like, eh, that's probably not, I probably can't carry that all the way through. You know what I mean? So it just started, that became just like a seed mm-hmm. and they sort of grew from there. But like, still, if you look at them, you can see each of them are a little, you know, Bing's a little depressed and Runny's a little anxious mm-hmm. and like Flackwell's got some imposter syndrome going on. And like, so I identify with each of them in those different ways. Um, I think the one I admire most is probably Bing. Um, just, I don't know, I think his arc is is really interesting and different. Just sort of this bear who, you know, doesn't know how to do anything but fight. Yeah. But, like, that's the last thing he wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, I don't know that he was my favorite, but he definitely had my heart at the end where I was just like, oh, that yeah, poor when bear. Of, when you sort of realize what's been going on the whole time. Yeah. And he... He, he can't speak. And like, I think there's something interesting about that mm-hmm. sort of silent giant, you know, archetype. Yeah. Um, so I, I, there's a special place in my heart for him. I think Ronnie's my favorite, though. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. He might be the one I think I'd like to sit down and have a beer with. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he's interesting. You know, I, I've like said before that sometimes like I feel like my life is just uh, a series of celebrations and apologies, mm-hmm. like, and that's all it is. And I feel like he, would sort of echo that, you know what I mean? I could see that, um, yeah. So I, I like him a lot. I, you know, he's gregarious and and well spoken in politicking and like that. He seems you know, very compassionate it's... too. Like he he's one of the more compassionate characters of the animals. Yeah, I had I the so. hardest time reading Runny and his ear moments. Like, oh, oh that was so those tough. Were, those were tough to write, like too. Yeah, because it's just so it's sad. Some... But like, you just want to give him a nice big hug. Yeah, it's sad, but, like, also understandable in oh, a way. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Considering that, like, he sort of thinks this is all his fault. Mm-hmm. And and so he yeah. wants to punish himself because no one else thinks it's his fault, but he does. So 
Your, you said your favorite character. Is there one that you connect with the most? Like the most you see yourself the most in? It depends on what part of the book. Fair. Um, Fair. There are like certain passages where the, the, um, I like to cook a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the passages with Flackwell where he's in the kitchen, I super, super connect super hard with that. Just like the rhythm of it all and like how he moves between the stove and, you know, the pot. Oh, and yeah. That. Oh, yeah. And when, when he's serving his food and talking about it and like being proud of it and, you know, all that stuff. So I, I connect with him really hard in those instances. Um, you know, running in certain spots. I used to be a musician, you know, as well. So when, you know, he's sort of playing his, his fiddle uh, or the viola, um, yes. you know, I connect with him pretty hard there. Um, I would say the one I connect with least is maybe Finn. Um, I don't, I don't have a lot of viciousness, you know, in me. We all do like from time to time. Oh yeah. But he's like uh, constantly vicious. He is. Yeah, for sure. But that's a Um, a, like very Fox like trait. He, he was very much a Fox as the Fox. Yeah. Very much so. Although there are, there are moments like when he's uh, sitting in the parlor, like looking around at everybody and is like, what's the word for a group of humans? Like, is it like an annoyance Mm -hmm. of humans or a, (laughs) Then I'm like, I, I have those moments, too, where you're just looking around like, what am I doing here? Right. Who are these people? Uh, yeah. Um, and then Bing, there are definitely times where I just want to turn off all the lights and put a bunch of movies on and just sit there and do nothing and be with nobody. Yes. And, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, cool. I assume you're writing your next book now because this is your. Ah, yes. The cork board behind you. I was wondering because Winter Set Hollow is your debut novel. Is your writing process the same for both the books, or how? It's, o- it's always it's always it. the same. <laughs> I, so I, I'm super regimented, like when it comes to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, when um, on like a day to day basis, but like as far as developing a story goes, mm-hmm. yeah, it's always the same. Um, I find one of those what if questions, and then I sit down, and if I think it's got enough legs to be a book, I sit down and I sort of start to grow the story from there, and I start to answer that question and ask myself related questions and answer those. And uh, once I think like, okay, this is a book, the first thing I do is um, print out a title and a couple images that I think like speak to the book. That's like a mood board way. You know what I mean? And so that's the very first thing I do. And the reason I do that first is because it's like I'm a very visual thinker. Mm -hmm. So it anchors me to the story. Yeah, it's much like easier I, to see stuff at, in front of you. Yeah, Like, you could yeah. have it in a list on your computer, but then you'd have to, like, click between all the stuff. No, that's exactly right. And I could just look look right mm-hmm. up at this, and it's always there. So it's, like, it's an anchor for me, and it keeps me close to the story and the tone and that sort of thing. And then from there, I start throwing note cards up on the corkboard. Um, just a- anything from, like, character sketches to plot points to bits of dialogue. Like, literally whatever jumps into my head mm-hmm. i have to get it down or else i like can't move on from it so like i have to write it down and put it up where i can see it and glance up at it and eventually all that stuff you know over the course of like a month or two sort of forms a story and then uh i do a lot of outlining and before i even sit down to write it all you know it's a couple months mm-hmm. of, of, of prepping for sure. I need to sort of know everything before I sit down. Like, I need to know how it ends. I need to know all the arcs and all the, all the you know, um, side plots and, like, all that stuff. And then once I, I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't think I can outline anymore, <laughs> then I sit down and start and start actually typing. So, so do you uh, write it out chronologically then? Yep. 
uh, from beginning to end. Yep, that's usually the way it goes. Um, unless th- it's presented in some sort of strange order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always just, I literally start at chapter one and end at the last chapter, and like, that's that. That's and, so awesome. Yeah. I write pretty quick, but I mean, because I do a lot of outlining, it's mm-hmm. sort of just like, it's like filling in the blanks. So then it's a couple months of writing, and then it's a couple months of rewriting, yeah. you know, and, and editing and that sort of thing. Is this next one also going to be a horror fantasy? So it's a dark fantasy for sure. Okay. It's probably a little lighter on the horror than Winterset Hollow was, um, but it's it's a dark fantasy for sure. So same vein, all but right, like all right. a different world a little bit. You know, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Like, as much as I do, like, outline meticulously, it always changes as you write it as well. So... Uh, it's something I've been thinking about, considering like how popular this first book was, and the fact that people like really like that aspect of it too. That it's this weird dichotomy between like mm-hmm. sweet childhood, you know, nostalgia, and like fairly brutal, like yeah, you know, horror, horror adjacent slash horror, you know, stuff. So, well, talking um, about the horror stuff um, and all of the the darkness in it, did did you have to Google? A lot of things. Is your Google search would, very murdery would it, now? Would it worry you if I said no? <laughs> no, I'm just always very curious. I'm just like, what does their Google search look like now? The answer to that is is no. I didn't. You know, I I tried to have like the more brutal stuff and like the deaths mm-hmm. and the action scenes sort of grow organically from from what's happening. Um, so those took me actually probably longer to write than any other part of that book, just because I wanted them to feel like natural and like they made sense given the context of like everything that was going on so did i have to google a lot of stuff for that no you know is all that stuff at at some point probably accidentally and or intentionally borrowed from like other stuff i've seen or read or whatever like probably you know isn't Um, everything in a way that's googling yeah pretty much yeah um so yeah they they you know instead of googling that stuff i tend to sort of just Mm -hmm. sit there and grind it out you know until i find the right combination yeah yeah, um, sit there and think about the dark things. Yeah, yeah just meditate in my own <laughs> my own darkness. Yeah. Uh, um, so how long have you been writing for? How long have you been wanting to be an author? It's always sort of been in the back of my head, but it's something I didn't like really consider realistically for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I I study a lot of uh, literature and English and that sort of thing in, in, you know, high school and college, but I didn't, you know, I majored in, in neuroscience. So uh, my sort of professional career, like, was a total, just total other direction, mm-hmm. you know, at first. And I, I've i always been interested in, like, storytelling and writing and that sort of thing, but, but never uh, with novels as a medium, like... Uh, I think I mentioned before I was a musician for a while, so I, I, you know, that I scratched that itch by writing songs, and then, uh, you know, once uh, kind of figured out that what I was doing pro- professionally wasn't pushing my buttons, I, I moved to LA to to become a screenwriter. So, oh, that's um, so cool! Yeah, so I've been doing that for the past couple of years to like they have varying degrees of success, yeah. like nothing anybody has ever seen. But uh, so that sort of like took care of you know that. Uh, the need for that outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually interesting because, you know, screenwriting is a, they don't, nobody cares about prose. Like nobody cares about how well written it is. It's all about structure and story mm-hmm. and like when this beat hits and when that beat hits and like, it's a very confined sort of medium. So it felt like that was a couple of years of like, just, just me working out my story muscle and that's it. Yeah. Um, but th- that's interesting because you need that. You do. You know what you I mean? Do. So Absolutely. like, yeah, but then when I sort of 
I was just sitting around and looking at like a stack of scripts on my shelf and was like, man, you know, there's all these amazing stories here that like nobody's going to read except like my agent, my manager and a couple of producers. And like, you know, and I was just bumming about it. And it was like bright, like mid pandemic panic, you know, when everything was shut down and like the entertainment industry was shut down and nothing was going on. And I was just sort of like, I'm going to write a book now. Um, That's so cool. You know, like I want to do a thing that like I have control over. And that I don't need millions of dollars for anybody to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that I don't need to filter through all these people. And I just like, I just was at this point where I was just like, I just want people to enjoy the stories I write. That's all I want. And how do I do that? And I sat down and I wrote this book. And that's how that happened. That is amazing. Maggie is going to grad school in Scotland right now for screenwriting. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She's that's in amazing. Edinburgh. We'll have to connect you guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, I always wanted to go to Scotland. Um, me I hear too. it's amazing. Uh, I've been to England like twice, but Ireland and Scotland never been, and I need, need to go to both. Right? I've been to France, but I've never yeah. been anywhere other than France, um, and I really did want you, to go to Scotland. Did, did you go to, uh, to Paris, or where'd you go in France? Um, so I stayed in Paris, but then I was there for two weeks, and we kind of toured around the areas too i was with my uh high school french teacher i went like right after i graduated and she was going so then she brought me with her and we joined up oh very yeah cool. we joined up with a group and just kind of toured a bunch of different stuff it was cool that's awesome yeah so coming back to yeah yeah anyway. the writing process um how many other genres have you delved into or what that's other genres have you delved into? That's actually a, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't ever think of my stuff in terms of genre when I'm writing it. Like I just think of it in terms of story and sort of it always ends up being something. People, um, you know, call Winterset Hollow like a genre blender. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, all of my stuff is like that. So it all starts sort of in the real world. And at some point it twists on a genre mm-hmm. convention. And sometimes that's like fantasy. Uh, sometimes that's a horror thing. Sometimes it's a sci-fi thing. It's it's a little different each time, but they all seem to be genre blenders in the end. Like it's all a little bit of magical realism, and then, like I said, a little sci-fi, a little horror, a little fantasy, but all always sort of grounded in like a world that feels real, right? Yeah, you know, um, it's always sort of set in like just something just adjacent to real life. You know, it's like just a little bit, just enough to make it like interesting. Right. Those kind but, of books but, really like get me because after I read them, I'm just like, but why isn't our world like this? I, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, for sure. But why? Yeah. Um, so I've, yeah, I've done a lot, I've done some stuff that's like, that leans more like sci-fi stuff that leans more like pure fantasy. Um, but uh, they're all always sort of multi-genre. Like I, I, I don't ever set out to write a like blank story, right, like a, right, a horror story or a, a hard sci-fi or anything like that. I might at some point because I like all that stuff. Um, I mean, you know, but- it's just when you sit, stick yourself in parameters, kind of like screenwriting. I guess screenwriting you have a certain set of parameters that you can oh, you only do. do. Whereas like yep. when you're writing a book, you do have the option to go out because it's your book. You can do whatever you want. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I think that's that's part of the reason that I do that is because like when I was screenwriting, it's it's you have to be very conscious of like how you're going to pitch this and what box this fits into, because that's the first thing anybody looking to like buy it or finance Mm -hmm. it wants to hear like, oh, this is a sci fi movie. 
this is similar to X movie and B movie that was successful. And that's why we want to look at it. So like when I was sort of not doing that so much anymore, I was like felt free of those chains. So I was just like, I'm going to do whatever yeah. I want. Like, yeah, yeah. It's going to be crazy. And yeah. So I, <laughs> I think that was like some weird, like, you know, subliminal like backlash to like all those rules. <laughs> that, well, good. I'm glad you have that outlet to do that. Me too. Yeah. Um. So you kind of touched on how the influences of your childhood, um, influ bleh, words word vomit influenced <laughs> Winter Set Hollow. Um, are there any specific authors that influenced your style of writing, and um, or have you met them, or are they dead now? So I definitely haven't met them. I. I haven't even I haven't met a ton of authors at all, to be frank. Um, there's definitely some heavy influences, though. Like story-wise, I like, I love Roald Dahl, and just you know, I feel like I love his worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sort of he again, like a lot of times, will start just in the real world, and then it sort of goes a little off the rails. Mm-hmm. And I I sort definitely. of really like that approach. You know, you know, style-wise, I. I like uh, Hemingway a lot. Um, style-wise, I sort of gravitate towards like the more classic, you know, authors. I think, mm-hmm. but story-wise, yeah, Roald Dahl is a big one. Michael Crichton, shockingly, is a big one too. Like a lot of people are surprised to hear me say that, but like when I was like twelve to fifteen years old, like I was just like a Michael Crichton nut and read all of his books and love. You know, I don't think his style is like writing style is necessarily a huge influence, but like his. The way he gravitates towards big story ideas, like, I really, really like. Um, I I like that sort of thing. Like, I like big, high-concept ideas. You know, like, what if we clone dinosaurs? Like, oh, what if we clone dinosaurs? (laughs) Like... What's what's the most interesting answer to that question? You know, yeah. uh, like oh, everything goes awesome and like people go to amusement park. Like no, that's not interesting. No. Like what if everything goes wrong? You know, mm-hmm. what if they find a giant sphere at the bottom of the ocean from another planet? You know, oh my god, well, I don't know. That'd be terrible. What if they do that? <laughs> like yeah, I so I like I like his like story choice and that he like tackles big messy questions and tries to answer them. So I think like that was a big a big part of. Um, you know, my development. Yeah. Too. And then the other thing I think, funnily enough, was like when I was younger, I read a lot of uh, like uh, um, Hardy Boys and like stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like just little like canned mysteries and which obviously aren't like high literature or anything like that. But, no, but they're fun. You know, they're fun. And like they taught me a lot of stuff. Like looking back, like mm-hmm. they taught me the importance of um, answering questions that you ask of your readers. Mm-hmm. You know, like Definitely. if you're going to pose a mystery. If you're gonna if you're gonna open up an interesting can of worms, like you better know how to close it, or else it's not gonna be a satisfying book. Mm-hmm. Like, and they and had gonna be upset. Like a formula for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, they they taught me uh, you know a lot of things too. So, final question that is the hardest question for everybody oh, no. possibly: oh, no. What is your favorite book? <sighs> yeah, this is incredibly <laughs> tough. Um, does anybody ever give you just one answer to no. this? Like, can they no do that? No one ever yeah. gives us just one answer. Because right. I'm probably not going to. No, either. that's fine. Like, that's impossible. <laughs> so I think the one that probably means the most to me is A Wrinkle in Time, um, which was the first, I think, probably the first fantasy book I ever read. And, like, my mom gave it to me. So, like, I have this very clear memory of her going like, hey, I've, I've got this book for you. Um, this is a book that I really love. 
you know, and like, I, you know, if you want to read it, here it is. And then like, I read it and my, you know, little mind was like blown because it was my first interest or my first experience with like, you know, actual, like well-written mm-hmm. fantasy, yeah. you know? Um, and I still have like, like that very, you know, so there's like a, an awesome, like familial attachment, you know, for me, like to the, like, oh, she actually like introduced me to fantasy books, mm-hmm. you know? And then of course I went on to read all the, all the C.S. Lewis stuff and, you know, all the Roald Dahl stuff and like everything, everything, everything. Um, so like that book holds a pretty special place, like in my heart for sure. So sentimental reasons, it's probably that in terms of like beautiful prose and that sort of thing. I love a movable feast by Hemingway. Um, I, it's just like, a lot of people have issues with that book, have trouble with that book. And like, I get it. Like the, the prose isn't easy, but, but it's like fearless writing to me. I really admire that, you know, where he's just like, I'm going to sit down and like periods and commas, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to write, I'm just going to write what I want to write. And like, people are going to love it or they're going to hate it. And probably both. And like, that's going to be that. So like, I, I really admire that. And that book also just makes me like more than any other book makes me w- want to be somewhere that I could never be, which is like that time mm-hmm. period in Paris, like we were talking yeah. about with all these artists and writers and like this very bohemian existence and just sitting around and cr- being creative and like, you know, gossiping about all these other artists behind their backs and drinking oh, yeah. motifs and like, it just seemed like such a, such a like... Just a, a once in a lifetime time and place mm-hmm. to be. So, like every time I read that book, I'm just like, man, like, I wish I could just go there and see what that was really like. You know, like I'm sure it wasn't as great as it as it you know seems to be. But uh, so I love I love those two books. Um, you know, I also love uh, it. It by Stephen King um, to me is like a great example of um, like world building in a limited setting, mm-hmm. which which is something that I have to do a lot because most of my books are like fairly fairly contained stories you know they're they're sort of like a very particular uh place and not more you know they don't typically don't span decades or years or anything like that so you know when i look at that book um and i don't love all his books i really like that one though because of that because i think he does a really good job doing that um and so i really i really like that book. yeah he definitely does a very good job world building in that one yep yep uh for sure so those are my Three, I think. All right. Uh, three of my favorite. I mean, there's so many. I know. There's you know? just, yeah. if you had, to, if you could pick from every genre of what your favorite book is, we would be talking for like another two hours, I'm we, sure. We would indeed, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. We're reaching the end. Do you have any final thoughts? Like how people uh, can get your book, where they can find you, anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can find me on, um, you know, all the, uh, all the social media stuff, uh, Jonathan Edward Durham on Facebook and uh, on, you know, Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. Uh, books available um, in uh, at Amazon and a bunch of other platforms. Um, just Google it. It'll pop right up. It's in paperback or ebook right now. And then uh, audiobook. We're trying to get that done by like uh, probably by the new year and maybe do like sort of a re-release type of thing with maybe like a nice hardcover edition nice uh yeah yeah so we're so we're working on that and um yeah that's what i got going on that is super cool i am just now realizing that i forgot to do a summary of your book shoot this is just coming off the cuff now because i don't have anything (laughs) written down it's a running gag in this podcast i never write down the summaries um which is why i forgot to do one at the beginning um but winterset hollow 
is a con- not is contemporary blending genre blending book about this boy man is but about this man i don't remember how old he is but yeah early 20s yeah 20s. young yeah, yeah, young yeah. man uh there you go. named Eamon, and he and his friends go to this island where originates uh the book, their favorite book. They're connected through their favorite book and they go there for Barley Day. Barley Day is the book's big celebration. And so they're going to celebrate. They finally get to go there, but not everything is as it seems. They meet their favorite characters, but there's something dark amidst the island. (laughs) Um, So read the book if you're interested in more. If you want to hear more. Yes. Yeah. There's 286 pages of more yes. uh, out there. Yes, so, yeah. you should read more. And it's full of poetry and prose, which is very cool. So as Maggie would normally say, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Jonathan, for joining us today. I Thank you so much for having me on. This was, uh, this was awesome. I had a blast. Great. I'm so glad. You can come back whenever you want to talk about any of your other books or whatever. Just let us know. I, I will do that for sure. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, so if you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family members. And if you're listening with Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. Um, if you haven't already subscribed to our Patreon, we release extra content pretty much every week. And if you're in certain tiers, you even get merch. And you can choose to buy us a book, which is a one-time donation option available through PayPal, which is in our link tree on our Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. And if you have any book suggestions or questions, feel free to email us at novelfindspodcast at gmail.com. Our email, Patreon, and Instagram handle can be found in our bio. Again, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you all next week for our final episode of the season. Bye! I thought that went great. Thank you.